Welcome to Beyond the Entertainment, where we take a look at the lives of those who entertain us. I'm talking about the tragedies, scandals, and crimes committed by them or to them. No one is off limits. We're going to talk about everyone from sports entertainers, Hollywood, YouTubers, and everyone in between. Everyone has a story to tell, and I'm here to tell you theirs. It's Stephanie, and I am back with a new story for you. Today is a little special, though, because it's Halloween, which is my favorite holiday. I hope you all are having a great day and enjoying in any festivities that may be in your area. I know one of my children will be dressed up to hand out candy, but my other one is going to be working, so she plans on wearing her Halloween costume to school today. I know for me, I'll be rocking my special witch hat at work that I got permission for only to wear on Halloween. I tried to work it out last week and he said no, but that's okay. Now, before we get into the meat and potatoes, I saw that they were working on a Von Erich movie and Zac Efron is going to be playing Keith, I believe. And I'm kind of curious if it's going to be pretty biographical or if they're going to embellish some things for the sake of entertainment, which they kind of do when they're doing like biography movies, but not necessarily in a documentary style. Either way, I'm hoping that it does the family justice and that the surviving members are happy with it. Also, I'm going to be making this my last episode of the year. I've given it some thought and I decided that I want to take a holiday hiatus. It's my normal time of the year to hibernate as it gets cold, but not only that, I think it's important to not overwork myself all of the time. I can spend time with my kids, do some fun holiday stuff, and get things ready to come back with new stories for you in the new year. So on to today's topic. I thought Halloween would be a good time to talk about cursed movies. I'd listened to one of my favorite podcasts talk about this before, so I got to listen to the episode again just to see if I could get some extra information that I couldn't find on my own. I'm not the best at doing research, so sometimes they can get me a little extra tidbits that I wasn't able to discover on my own. So the podcast is called And That's Why We Drink, which if you don't already listen to them, you totally should. M tells stories about like supernatural, paranormal, cryptids, while Christine does true crime, and they have a wonderful dynamic and they tell awesome stories. In episode 163, they talk about the Poltergeist movie, which I thought would be kind of cool for Halloween. My mom loves scary movies, as do I, especially during spooky season, which I always say starts in August because that's my birthday month. If Christmas gets to start before Thanksgiving, then I get to start spooky season for Halloween early too. So when I was a small child, I vividly remember being on the couch, eating a hot dog, and laying there in fear, mindlessly eating while Poltergeist was on the TV. As one of the few vivid memories of my childhood that I still have, and I swear it has probably what sparked some of my repetitive nightmares as a child about ghosts, but that's okay. I don't hold a grudge against my mom for it. It is why I want to talk about it for Halloween, though. I am curious, is there any scary movies that your parents watched when you were little that scared the crap out of you? Because I cannot be the only one with a memory like that. So without further ado, let's talk about the Poltergeist movie curse. So one thing I remember most is a little girl creepily saying, they're here. 
in a scene where she is sucked into the closet. Now, if you aren't familiar with the movie, let me give you a rundown real quick because you have no idea what I'm talking about. And let's be honest, these movies came out in the 80s, so I'm not spoiling anything. You've had time to watch it. So the first movie came out in 1982, and the premise is that the Freeling family is in a newly built housing development that was built on a relocated cemetery plot. They have three children, the youngest who is a five-year-old girl, begins talking to the spirits in the TV before all mayhem breaks out. The eight-year-old son is snagged through a window by a tree limb that tries to eat him, and while he is being saved, the five-year-old daughter is sucked into a portal in her closet. The teenage daughter and son are sent away for their safety while the parents call in reinforcements to save their young daughter from the other side. The portal starts in the closet, and then the exit to this other dimension is in the living room ceiling for some reason. So they thread a rope through both sides so the mom can go in the portal in the closet, rescue the little girl trapped in the other dimension, and then come out the exit in the ceiling. After mom accomplishes this mission, the spiritual medium says that the house is clean and things seemingly go back to normal. They're preparing to move because no one obviously wants to live there after that ordeal, but there's one last battle to be had. The mom is home with her son and the five-year-old daughter, when the entity they call the Beast returns to try to take the daughter one more time. Chaos ensues, and this is where the mom ends up in the excavated hole outside that was supposed to become a pool. Now it's flooding with water, and there are skeletons rising up around her. Just imagine being in a pit flooded with dirty water and skeletons. Ugh. So when the dad gets home, he sees this and has this realization that only the gravestones were actually moved, but the bodies were left behind. I mean, how rude is that? You shouldn't disturb final resting places, period, but to just leave the bodies and move the gravestones just to build houses on top is a little disrespectful. Anywho, the oldest daughter returns from the date that she was on, the family jumps into their car to escape, and they pull away as their house is sucked into the other dimension. Imagine being their neighbor for a second, though, like you hear a commotion, you look out your window and see the house just like disappear. I'd be packing my stuff and leaving next. Now, hopefully you can recall this movie or you have somewhat of an understanding of the premise. Supernatural entity wants the little girl and family fights to save her. There are two more movies, though. This is a trilogy, in fact. And technically, they did reboot it, but the curse is focused mostly on the original three. So on to movie two. I know what you're thinking, but they left the house. So isn't that the end? Of course not. This is the 80s and horror movies are just hitting banger after banger. So the story has to continue. It's a year later, and where the house once stood is now an archaeological dig site, which allows them to discover a cave. The spiritual medium from the first movie becomes aware of the caves and brings in her friend, a Native American shaman named Taylor, and he investigates the caves, which more power to him, because if I'm not on a tour I paid a reputable company for, you're not going to catch me in a cave system. Anyways, he discovers that the spirit of an insane preacher named Cain is the entity that tried to kidnap the little girl and is after her again. So basically, it's round two with this entity, but they have a Native American shaman who helps the family protect her. The preacher, who was the leader of an apocalyptic cult, which, I mean, that's pretty common cult behavior. It's always focused on the apocalypse. He had brought his followers into the cave to trap them, where they would all die together. Of course, they have this battle with this Kane guy at their new home, but they decide they need to go to the cave to defeat him on his own turf. They go to the other side in the cave and narrowly escape with their lives. 
Kane had attempted to drain the little girl's life force, but her dead clairvoyant grandmother saves her and delivers her safely and renewed of life to her family before returning to her own afterlife. They give their car to the shaman, who gave a magical spear to the dad that they used on Kane, and he drives off at the end of the movie with the medium. Now, we're not done yet, because as I said, this is a trilogy, y'all. So there's one more adventure for this family, except this time... It mostly revolves around the little girl who goes to live with her aunt and uncle in a skyscraper in Chicago. The aunt and uncle have no idea what the family has experienced because who's going to believe that she was sucked into a different dimension and that they've been having a battle with an evil dead preacher who's been trying to take their daughter. But there's a school up there that she can attend for gifted children and also get some psychological help as well. I'm sure it's very much needed if anybody in that house is going to attempt to live a normal life. So they're also hoping that she'll be safe from Kane because maybe he won't be able to find her there, but of course she isn't. So as Carol Ann talks about her experience, which is the name of the little girl, because I realize I haven't said that yet. As she's talking about Kane, it allows him to be able to discover where she is now because the magical spear in the last movie didn't put this evil entity down forever. The medium becomes aware that he is peeking on her through mirrors, which mirrors are said to be a gateway to the other side, and she makes her way up to protect her. Now, this tricky devil Kane starts possessing people's reflections and using this throughout the movie to trick people and starts offing them one by one after he kidnaps Carol Ann again. This poor girl cannot catch a break. Kane kills the medium, but she's still powerful enough in the end to get him to cross over with her and return the people from the other side who were taken with Carol Ann. But you can hear his evil laughter at the end of the movie, which insinuates he might not be done after all. So here we have the supernatural trilogy about a young girl who was hunted by an evil dead preacher because there's just something about her life force that calls to him. So why do people think that these movies are cursed? The actors and people involved in the production were plagued by misfortune and death. The cause is suspected to be linked to the scene with the skeletons in the first movie. Apparently, it's pretty expensive to make fake skeletons or get a bunch of prop skeletons, so instead they used real skeletons. Like... I'm a little confused on the logic and how it was cheaper to get real ones. Also, where did they find these skeletons? Can you actually ethically source skeletons for a movie? It prompts a lot of questions on how you accomplish this, but it was a different time period and apparently it was a lot cheaper. However, it's still pretty creepy to think about. And I think it makes for a solid source for the curse because if you believe in spirits and the afterlife, it could be the vengeance of an angry ghost whose skeleton was used in the making of this movie. So the first notable tragedy linked to this movie is that of the actress who played the teenage daughter in the first movie. Dominic Dunn played Dana Freeling and she was only 22 when the movie was released on June 4th, 1982. On October 30th, just a few months after, she got into an argument with her ex-boyfriend, John Thomas Sweeney, in the driveway at her home. In the months prior to, while they were still dating, he had attacked her multiple times, causing her to flee to her mom's house. One time he even jumped on her car to try to prevent her from driving away. And a friend staying with them intervened during one incident where he found him choking her and helped her get away. Unfortunately, it wouldn't be the last time, as on that fateful day he went to her house, convinced her to come outside, and then he strangled her in the driveway until he thought he had killed her. He even told the police that he thought she was dead, but in fact, she was unconscious. At the hospital, she was pronounced brain dead and then taken off life support on November 4th. After Dominique's tragic death and concern over the use of real skeletons in the first movie, the actors were a little uncomfortable going into the second movie. 
especially considering that they were talking about using real skeletons again. So before they started filming, Will Sampson, who plays the Native American shaman, performed an exorcism on set before filming began. And it seemed to help calm the atmosphere for the actors, as they said it felt lighter on set. However, it didn't stop tragedy from following the film's actors, including himself. The second film was released on May 23, 1986. And on June 3, 1987, Will Sampson would succumb to chronic illness and pass away at only 53 years old. He had scleroderma, which is a chronic degenerative condition that affected his heart, lungs, and skin. He lost a lot of weight due to his illness, which caused him some health problems related to malnutrition. He went in for a lung transplant, but would ultimately die from kidney failure post-surgery. Even though his death was due to chronic illness, he is still linked to the curse, as he should have had many years left to live and roles to perform. And honestly, it was the timing as well, because it was right after the second film was released. The second tragedy linked to the second movie is the actor that played the villain, the evil preacher Kane. His name is Julian Beck, and before he accepted the role, he had been diagnosed with stomach cancer. I wonder if he took the role knowing that this would be his last major film, or maybe hoping that through working and staying active, it would help him fight. Unfortunately, we know that it was his last film role as he passed away eight months before the movie was released on September 14, 1985. He was only 60 years old and obviously still had work to do as he would have been brought back to reprise his role in the third film if he had survived. The last cast member to pass was four months before the third film's release on June 10th, 1988. Now, this is the last cast member to pass during the main filming and release of these three movies. The main character of the film was Carol Ann, who was being hunted and kidnapped in every film. She was played by Heather O'Rourke, who would tragically pass away on February 1st, 1988 at only 12 years old. In 1987, she'd become ill, which seemed to have been caused by something in the well water at her home, and was then diagnosed with Crohn's disease shortly after. The medication she was taking was steroid injections, and it caused her face to swell, which made her a little self-conscious. And it's kind of sad to think that someone so young was self-conscious because of her medication. On January 31st, 1988, she began to display flu-like symptoms, but in the morning she collapsed, prompting her family to call for an ambulance. On the way to the hospital, she went to cardiac arrest, but the paramedics were able to bring her back to life. After arriving at the hospital, she went in for emergency surgery for a bowel obstruction. In the recovery room, she suffered another cardiac event, but this time they would not be able to revive her. In the end, it wasn't Crohn's disease. That was a misdiagnosis. But instead, she was born with an intestinal abnormality that they didn't know about. Her death was said to be from septic shock. Her death affected the release of the movie because the studio did not want to propagandize her death. So they didn't market the movie and they didn't promote the movie because they felt that respecting her passing was more important. And of course, no one is blaming her for the movie not doing as well as the others. I think it's pretty commendable that they wanted to respect her passing and not use it as a way to promote the movie and get more word out about it. Now, there are two other cast members who are linked to the movie and associated with the curse as well. But what happened to them was a few years removed from the production and releases. Despite that, they are still linked since they were involved with the original movies where the skeletons were used. Richard Lawson, who was in the first movie, was aboard U.S. Air Flight 405 as it crashed into Flushing Bay in March 1992. 27 people on the flight died, but he was part of the small group of people to survive. Survival is pretty rare when you discuss the curse, and probably even more rare in a plane crash. The only reason he did survive was because his seat was upgraded last minute, 
If he had been in his original seat, he would have died as none of the people in that area made it. The other person is Lou Perryman, who had a small role in the first movie. In 2009, a man recently released from prison for aggravated robbery killed him with an axe in his own home before he stole his car. Apparently, the man was off of his medication and had been drinking. It was an incredibly unfortunate series of events that led to his murder. Even though it was in 2009, it is still linked to the curse because he was a part of the original production. And what are the odds that this man chose his house at random and this happened? The man had been walking for miles, apparently, and just walked up and knocked on his door. I'm sure Lou thought that he was just being a good person and helping someone out, and instead the man killed him with an axe. Some weird things did happen aside from the deaths. While filming, the young actor who played the son named Robbie was almost choked to death by a mechanical clown doll prop. In the scene, the clown was supposed to attack him. They thought he was just giving an Oscar-winning performance. But in fact, the doll had fallen on him and he actually couldn't breathe. The actress who played the mom would experience things in her home like the pictures on her walls being crooked every day she returned home from set, no matter how much she fixed them. And this happened while she was filming the first and second movie. The writer for the movie also had some weird experiences in his home. He said his home was struck by a lightning bolt while he was writing. He also had the face of his AC fly off the wall across the room to hit him in the back. His power went out. And then when it came back on, all of his video games in his house started playing by themselves. And by video games, I mean his like arcade collection. So imagine you have all these big arcade games and they just turn on and start playing by themselves. And I did mention a reboot earlier. The director purposefully picked a location that felt a little off and he wanted to have a haunted house. I guess he wanted to play up on this curse and pick some places that didn't really have the best energy to them. I'm not really sure why you'd want to do that, but hey, you know, you do you. Because of this, they would experience electrical malfunctions frequently. Lights would blow out. The drones that they used weren't able to pick up their GPS signal on site. So they would have to be started up outside of the property just so that they'd be able to work while they were filming. He also stated that the house they used was haunted by a woman in a black dress that he only became aware of shortly after he settled into the house for production. So once they finished, the owner of the home called the director to ask what they did because now they were experiencing things that they weren't experiencing before. So what do you think? Was the movie and the cast cursed? I'm not sure it was cursed, but... I don't think that using real skeletons helped the situation much. It was a lot of tragedy that happened to the people involved in the movies, which is an incredibly weird coincidence regardless. I hope you've enjoyed this episode on the Poltergeist curse. I know I did because I grew up watching these movies. I only knew of the young girl's passing, but not all of the extra stuff linked to it. But that's why I love doing this. I get to learn so much that I didn't know before, and I get to share that with you. Don't worry, though. I'll still be doing my research while I'm on break, but just at a more leisurely pace. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. Enjoy the time with your family and friends and have a great new year. As always, if you have any suggestions for future stories or you want to share a story with me, you can send that in to beyondtheentertainmentpod at gmail.com. Give me a follow on Instagram at staylor underscore BTE, or you can find me on Twitter at BTE underscore pod. And if you want to just keep up with me while I'm on hiatus, I'm on Twitter at Persephone's Reign, which is my gaming name. 
If you enjoy the podcast and want to support it, you can do that at anchor.fm slash beyond the entertainment pod slash support. You can make a monthly donation of as little as 99 cents, which can help with costs related to research and recording equipment. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you all in 2023. This has been Beyond the Entertainment.